If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't have one, there's one under the chair in front of you. You can grab that and uh, take it with you. And we'd love to just have that as a gift for you today if you don't have your own Bible. Um, And you can open up to Deuteronomy 6 verse 1. I have a one-year-old son. Uh, and some of you know what that means. And, but if you don't know what that means, let me give you a little picture of the stage of life that Lauren and I are in right now. Uh, so he is like yay tall. And it's this pretty tall one-year-old. Uh, and he's just been walking around. He's really interested in basically anything he can explore. And so he's uh, going into every room that he can. He's trying to talk. And so he really only says like a few words, but it's a lot of noise constantly. Uh, and so what I've learned is when he's quiet is when there's a problem. Um, what I've learned is that he's now starting to walk. So in our house, you can walk around the kitchen and the living room and try to explore and open up cabinets and, and get into the pantry. And then when he gets quiet, it's because he's figured out how to like reach for like his little snacks on the shelf in the pantry. Uh, and so uh, what he's figured out now, especially is his favorite new toy. Um, and so I learned this the other day. Uh, he was jibber-jabbering to himself, having a conversation with himself, just enjoying the day. And then I realized like all of a sudden it was quiet and that's a problem. (laughs) So I go looking for him and I hear the most excited, like this noise that he made of just sheer, pure joy. I don't know if I've ever felt joy like this in my life. And I would redo it for you right now, but I just, it's not that I'm embarrassed to do it. I just don't think I could do it justice. Like he was so excited and he comes out of the bathroom with this thing in his hand, shaking it like a sword and it's a toilet brush. And he is so excited to have this toilet brush to show me and to play with it and to hit things with it. And all I'm thinking is, how do I get this out of his hands right now? See, to him, that looks like the most fun thing ever, right? And I don't know what it is about the toilet brush that looks so fun, but he just is so excited to show it to me. And now it's the game that Lauren and I get to play with him is like, keep the bathroom door shut. Make sure he doesn't get in there because he goes straight for the toilet brush every time. And so we have to keep him away from that. See, in his eyes, that looks like fun. That looks like something that he wants to play with, that he wants to experience. In my eyes, all I think about is like him getting sick and him having problems and like, I don't want to touch it. Like, just not good. But he doesn't know that. I know that, but he doesn't know that. See, the reality is that each of us have things like that in our lives. We have a way that we see and interpret everything that's going on around us, the way that that things are going on in our lives. It's a worldview. It's the lens by which we see. In his eyes, a toilet brush is the best toy ever, right? And when he grows up, if no one ever taught him, he would literally just tell you guys, no, you have to see this, right? This is the most amazing thing. Look, it's got these things and you can like swing it and people run away. It's amazing, right? But we have to teach him not to do that. And it's the same thing for us. See, we whether it was the way that we were raised or it's the news that we watch, it's the social media that we follow, all of these things, they influence the way that we see what's going on in the world and what's happening in our lives, the way that we interpret, that we understand how to feel about things, what we think about things, what we think is right and what we think is wrong, right? It's the way that our parents raised us. It teaches us like, how how do you raise your kids? What does it mean to be good in school? How do you do your job? How do you live your life? How do you be a good husband or a good mom or a good, like all of these things are interpreted through these lenses, these worldviews. But what's the foundation of that? Right, see, Benji has no idea that a toilet brush is disgusting. So I'm gonna teach him that. What are the things in our lives that we need to realize 
We think they look good. We think they look fun. We think they look amazing, but they're just harmful to us. They're not good for us. What are the things that we need to learn about that? And so in this series, we're talking about being a disciple, right? The idea that love moves in us and out of us, the idea that the love of Jesus is his willingness to come into this earth, right? He moved first. He was a God coming down into this earth, entering into our humanity to experience the things we've experienced, the temptations, the sorrows, the suffering, the pain, uh, the, the, even the sense of just hunger and exhaustion. Jesus knows what it is to be human. And then he sacrificed himself for our sake because he wanted to bring us into relationship with him. To bring unity where there was disunity, to bring peace where there was discord, to bring hope where there's hopelessness. And by doing that, he's given us an idea that there is a life that we can live in light of who he is and in spite of the way the world is. And because of that, we have a way to follow him. But what is that way? Well, that way is, it comes from the scriptures. And so when we talk about uh, this series, we have seven marks that we've been developing as a disciple, right? Seven marks as a church that we think this is a way for us to summarize what it looks like to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about gospel identity, the idea that Jesus' sacrifice is something that changes us inwardly and it transforms the very nature of who we are. Right? Because we don't just see ourselves now as, as the girl that grew up in that small town or, or the guy who was, who was beaten by his dad growing up or, or whatever it is that we used to define ourselves. Now we define ourselves by who Jesus is. And that changes who we are. That changes the way that we live. And as we continue in this series today, we're talking about a biblical framework. So what is a biblical framework? This is the way that we define it here. That you would immerse in the scriptures so you can engage the world. You say the biblical framework is that you would immerse in the scriptures so you can engage the world. What that means is that we think that the Bible should be the foundation of what we believe and how we understand and interpret the things around us, right? It should be the lens by which we see the world. It's what we understand truth and reality to be. Now, why would we do that? And how would we do that? That's what we're talking about today. So if you have a Bible, make sure you open up to Deuteronomy chapter six, and we're gonna dive in starting just in verse one. And Moses says this, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going, going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, maybe you're not familiar with this section, so let me catch you up a little bit on where we are. Uh, the people of Israel have gathered before Moses, God's prophet and their leader, and he's proclaiming these things as they begin to head into the promised land, right? They've been wandering in the desert and he's giving them these words, these statutes, these commands to follow. It's starting to shape who they are gonna be as a nation. And as God is preparing them, he says, you need to remember these things. 
You need to obey these things. You need to follow these things. And this is what it's gonna look like for you to live your life as in light of who I am as God. And so Moses is declaring these things to these people. But I think what we need to understand about the people is that they're not just this like holy nation, right? They're not a nation at all at this time. There's hundreds of thousands of people, but they're not this religious group that that God has already like been working through in incredible ways that they're just these holy, righteous, good people. I think we a lot of times read scripture as though there's just exemplars of perfection, but the Israelites at this time are the opposite. Right? They're new, they're green, they're uncertain, they're, they have doubts and fears and, and sin. Right? They have idols and, and all kinds of things. And so what God is doing is he's giving them commands to start to shape and to change and to form them in new ways. Right? Because he wants them to have different hearts, to have renewed minds. He wants them to have, have a community that's founded on him being the one God who saved them. What do you mean by saved? This is what I mean is that... Uh, in Genesis, we see that Israel starts with a guy, appropriately named Israel. Uh, starts as Jacob, but God names him Israel, and he has sons, and those sons have kids, and those kids have kids. And down the line, through God's providence, there comes a time when there's a famine, and these families have gathered together, uh, and they're, they're hungry, right? And so they're nomadic people. They've been wandering from one place to the next. And, and in a famine, there's no food for the farmer, let alone the nomad, right? And so when they're trying to figure out what to eat, what they're gonna do for their families, they realize, well, there's, there's probably something in Egypt. Because in Egypt, it's this mighty empire. It's this place that, that just seems to have a, a plethora of opportunity and wealth. And, and so they go to Egypt, and there is one remaining son whom they'd forgotten. And he has some authority. And through God's providence, he's able to provide for the Israelites. And in Egypt, they're able to continue to grow as families and families into tribes and tribes into this humongous group of people over centuries. And as that happens, somebody's watching. It's the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he starts to see that, you know what? That, that group of people is getting big. And they, they're different. They're from a different part of the world. They're from a different land. They're foreigners. They, they believe some different things. And, and I'm not so sure that they're gonna be committed to the Egyptian way. I'm not so sure they're gonna be committed to me. And so the Pharaoh begins to oppress them. And as he pushes them down, he begins to enslave them and put them into this this pressure cooker of suffering and pain and anguish. And, And the people begin to cry out and Pharaoh starts to kill their kids, right? This is a terrible, painful circumstance. And yet God is faithful because he hears the Israelites cry. And his response is deliverance. And so through Moses leading them, uh, maybe you're familiar with a story, burning bush, splitting the Red Sea, going into the desert, right? God draws them out of Egypt and delivers them into freedom. And so now they're wandering in the desert, essentially traveling from Egypt to what the promised land would be. And God is using this season that ends up being like 40 years to change them and to transform them and to shape them into his people. And that's where we are is in the middle of that period, Moses is telling them to remember the God who saved you. Remember who you are because of who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember the way it was in Egypt. Remember what it was like to be a slave. And the thing is, that's for generations, right? Because it wasn't just 
the parents that he was saying, hey, you remember what it was like to work. He's telling kids and eventually grandkids in these messages, remember what it was like to be a slave. They had this sense of identity that God had rescued them out of that. Because if God had never delivered their grandparents or their great-grandparents or their great-great-great-grandparents, then they too would just be slaves in Egypt. And Moses is telling them to remember what God has done for them. And so he's using this to to set the foundation for what this community is gonna look like. And and he gives commandments, right? God gives the 10 commandments and that's the first step. It's uh, on these tablets, Moses has commandments like you shall love the Lord your God, right? You You shall honor the Sabbath. You shall honor your mother and father. Don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. And he's given these commandments to Moses and to his people because he's starting to shape their culture their community in a new light. And what we have from from history now as we look at that is we start to understand where the Bible comes from. Because what the Israelites did is they took this image of the commandments, right? And they began to, to hold tight to that. And then as God continued to prepare them through Moses, he gives us the first five books of the Old Testament. Right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As he does this, he starts to form uh, rules and regulations, laws and commandments, stories for people to remember who God is and what he's done, his faithfulness. Right, Exodus tells that whole story about Egypt. Genesis talks about where people come from and why the world is like this. And in Numbers, we start to see that the gathering of all these people as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, that there's different tribes and different leaders and all of these people make a difference and they matter and they have purpose and God sees them. And then they have these these books that have recorded that and it continues down the line. God continues over generations to raise up prophets who who proclaim God's glory or or who proclaim God's warnings and and Isaiah and and even Jonah, they proclaim things and and the community learns from them. And then you have books like uh, wisdom literature, like the Psalms. Right, these poems that teach people how to sing and how to pray and, and they remember and memorize these things because it's so important in, in understanding who they are. And if Proverbs teaching you how to find a good wife and a good husband and be a good husband or a good wife and, and how to be a parent and how to manage your money and how not to spend nights drunkenness and hung over the next morning and all of these things written in, in this wisdom literature. And then in the history that goes from, from Genesis and then it continues on into books like Joshua and Esther and, and shows the things that Israel has gone through and endured, both the suffering and the celebrations, the blessings that God has done and all through all of it, his faithfulness. That's the Old Testament. That's what we have from Genesis to Malachi is these stories of what God has done for his people. And what we have is this this community, this this group of people, this nation that has been brought together by God and and blessed in such a way that, that they're supposed to be united under the banner, God alone, the Lord, that they may be a light to the nations around them. And so they have this, this uh, text, right? These scriptures that help them to remember that, right? And that, that's amazing. Even in a culture that was predominantly illiterate, the written texts were revered and, and held as important, separate even from other books, right? They had other poetry, they had other things written down, and yet they, they maintained these books that I just listed off as important and valuable and unique because these are the word of God. 
These are inspired by God. These are the things that we shape our faith around. These are the the things that we shape our life around. That's the community that Jesus enters into. And so when he brings in his ministry, he's not just speaking out of his own authority, though he does that too, and they recognize that as something unique, but he's also citing these texts because the community was so familiar with them. He's citing the prophets, he's citing the Psalms, he's citing these stories that they would have been hearing since they were children to show that he is the one that God was promising, to show that he is the one that God had had sent to deliver his people into freedom once again, ultimately freedom from sin and death. And the gospels record this and write it down and and continue again to cite back uh, even in the prophets and things to remind the reader, this is who Jesus is. And even in the New Testament continued, we see epistles, letters from from Paul and Peter and John and others that tell us what it looks like to be a part of this New Testament, right? This new covenant, this new um, life in, in community with God, the church. And so what we have is this picture from Genesis to Revelation that God's people have been rooted in his word, Paul writes it this way, that that the scriptures are breathed out by God. And so God is speaking them to us from his own mouth. And Peter says that uh, the the authors of scripture, the prophets, are are carried about by the Holy Spirit of God to to deliver these messages. These These aren't people just writing or inventing things on their own. This is God working through people to bring to us his word, his message. That's the Bible. That's what we have is this, this image and picture of a, of a book that's been compiled over hundreds of years to come together and deliver to us the gospel, the good news that God loves us. And in his steadfast love has, has found a way through his son Jesus to give us union with him again because we've been separated from him by sin. And that is what we're talking about with the biblical framework Right? The idea that we want to lay our life on that foundation, that we want this to define how we understand everything that's going on around us, how we understand the things that we're sad about or, or grieved by or angry about, how we understand the things that, that are hurting us, the, how we understand the things that we're passionate about and joyous about, how we understand pleasure and pain. Right? How we experience life itself gets interpreted through that lens when we have this framework. And the reality is we all have a framework. We all have a framework that we, that we understand the way we experience life through one way or another, right? Benji's framework says that toilet brushes are the best toy ever, right? Like it is the most amazing thing, guys. You just, you don't even know, but he's gonna try to teach you, right? And maybe that's not you. Maybe your framework is just cable news, right? And I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN or some random thing I've never heard of. Like, like maybe that's what you wake up and go to bed thinking about and watching and, and, and it's influencing the way that you understand what's going on in the world. Or maybe it's social media. Like who do you follow besides Tim? Who do you follow that gives you the ideas on how you understand what's going on in the world? Right? Because the reality is through social media and, and cable news and other thing, avenues on the internet and your friends at work and everything, like there's always people just giving you information that you have to take in and interpret. And the reality is, is that information influences us too. Right? Because if we're talking about the world around us, everything you watch is going to be talking about the war in Ukraine. 
and wars in other places. And it's gonna be talking about poverty and unemployment and gas prices and also like, what are you doing for summer vacation? And oh, this is a great cheap flight to go to the Bahamas and all of these other things. How do you understand that? How do you interpret that? How do you define that? For some of us, it's gonna be defined by those things themselves, right? Because we're just gonna be consumed by it. We're gonna wake up and, and whether Tucker Carlson is like your guy and you're super angry about whatever he says or you hate him and you're super angry about whatever he says, like you're just angry, right? It's influencing you. But that's not the way that we should approach things, right? Like that's not life in Christ. That's life in not Fox News. What Jesus is calling us to is a life built on him as our firm foundation. We just sang about that, but do we mean it? Because it's really easy for us, like in the pandemic, what did you guys do? Right, what did you do when you started off and um, you, know, you had a few weeks to kind of sit back and try to figure out what was happening? Uh, when it started, every single person that I know started doing some hobby. Right? Some of you, you started baking sourdough bread. Right? Some of you are still waiting for that perfect starter uh, and, or whatever. That's like literally all I know about sourdough bread. So, um, but I know the starter is really important. Other people, it was like personal finance. You're like, oh man, like I gotta get this thing in order. Like you started watching videos and you're reading books. And right? the reality is every single one of us did something. And that continues to persist in our way of thinking today, right? If you were really entrenched, like this is the most important thing that we have to do. We have to do these things this way. You're still probably entrenched in that. And I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but is it what Christ is calling you to do now? Or are you putting your, your faith, your foundation in something like your finances, in your well-being, in your health? Because none of those things last, right? I mean, we just spent a long time in our last series talking about how meaningless life was, so we don't need to go over that again. But with a biblical framework, we start to understand that when things are going well, we can celebrate and praise God for that. And when things are going poorly and they're suffering, we can celebrate and praise God because he's good. And we can understand what's going on in the world around us in a new light, right? Because if we just look at the world around us without this lens, without this framework, we just start to see the pain and the suffering and the anguish and we wonder if there's any hope. Like, let's be honest with that because there's not a lot of hope in any of these outlets. I don't care what news media you watch, everybody's angry. They're just angry at the other side, mostly just to keep you watching, right? Or maybe like you're super excited about this particular um, fandom, right? Like you care more about your Hogwarts house or, or you, you know, spend all weekend watching the NFL draft or like whatever it is, like, whoops. Um, or, you know, something less important, like, um, but what are you defining your life by? Like, what are you defining purpose and meaning by? That's what a biblical framework starts to understand because it's the author of scripture who created your life. And when we say that God breathes scripture, he also breathed life into you in Genesis. This picture that we have that God formed us and made us for a purpose. And so we, we look at his word as the foundation for understanding who we are. And then that shapes the community that we live in, that shapes the family that we have, that shapes everything about who we are and how we live and how we understand the things that happen to us. 
not saying everything's good. I'm saying the opposite. We start to have meaning and purpose even when they're not. So how do we do that? How do we create a lens that helps us interpret life as it really is? Uh, look at me. Look with me at verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, right? In other words, listen, there is one God that you will worship, right? Remember that culture, they were coming out of Egypt where they had all kinds of different gods and God's saying, look, just focus on me. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who's powerful and saving and loving and the one whom you will worship, the only one. And you will write these words on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses says to put these things on your heart, right? What does it mean to be on your heart? I think he just gives us some examples there on what that looks like. It's when you're sitting down at Moxie with Kyle, because I think he signed a brand deal. um, Like he's he's gonna be talking to you and eventually he's gonna bring up God's word at some point or you do the same for him. Or when you're walking on the way, right? When you're on a road trip, everybody's been on a road trip where you you start the day and, and maybe it's a, a great start, you're listening to some music, you're jamming out, and eventually you start talking, right? You start talking about the most recent movie you saw, or you start talking about uh, the things that you've enjoyed, the scores, and uh, like, what are you gonna eat for lunch? And finally, it's the, it's the most serious conversation you've ever had in your life, right? It's, it's the things you've experienced as a child that you never told anybody, or it's, it's the way that you can't believe that person at work still makes you feel, even though you haven't worked with them for years. It, it, like all of these things. And at some point, what we want is God's word to bring truth into those conversations, right? We want that to be coming out of us. It's, it's the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning, you reach for your phone and maybe it's not your phone anymore. Or if it is your phone, it's that app that, that can give you just a, a verse or a section to read first and foremost, instead of the news or the scores or the email or that text that you forgot to answer or whatever else. It's the same thing on the other end when you go to bed. What are you thinking about? What are you worried about? What are you, what are you anxious about? Or are you thinking about God's word? Are you settling yourself? Are you reminding yourself who he is? Are you having peace so that you can rest because he is the one you can rest in? Right? It's, it's coming out of you in every aspect of your life. Uh, there's some history that's in this from these verses, um, and maybe you know some Jews who've done this, like really um, like, um, strict sects of Judaism have, have done things like written uh, passages and, and tied little boxes to their hands, their wrists, their, their foreheads. They, uh, something here in central Phoenix a lot, you'll see like mezuzahs on, on doorposts and as you enter into the house, right? It's this big, it's some Hebrew letters. And um, from this passage to remind them that every aspect of their life should be touched by God's word. Right? And whether you do that literally or figuratively, the idea is this, is that God's commandments, his words, his law, his, his message should be coming out of us in every aspect that we experience of life. Right? That's what a biblical framework looks like. It's not like some Bible knowledge trivia game where you have all the right answers and you remember that Shamgar killed 300 guys with an, ax, an ox goad, which is a stick, by the way, pretty impressive. Like, No, 
It's being able to understand God's words to a point where you can tell it to others in a way that's encouraging, uplifting, ex- and, you know, it's even exhorting them to something that they should be doing. It's a way of doing that to yourself, having peace and understanding of who God is and who, who I am because of who he is and what he's done on the cross for me. And it's starting to see this picture from Genesis to Revelation that God is weaving this story together of salvation for his people to bring us together for eternity. That's what a biblical framework is, right? And so that's, that's our hope for you and for us, honestly, because this is a lifelong process, right? Uh, we've got a few ways that we do this now. One of them is studies. We have men's and women's Bible studies that just started. So it's not too late for you to jump in. I encourage you to do that. But I really wanna talk about that because um, Ken Morgan and Cynthia Moore are leading those studies. If you haven't met them, meet them. They're amazing, both of them. Uh, and very different people and both amazingly godly people in their own ways. Uh, but my point is this, Ken and Cynthia know way more about the Bible than I do, right? They, they have more ministry experience than I do. They have more time in the word than I do, uh, at least as much education as I do. Uh, like they know their Bibles because they've just spent time in it. I think that's the most important way for us. If, if you don't know anything about the Bible, right? if, if you're intimidated by this because it's, an old book written in foreign languages that's translated to English and still sounds super weird. Find somebody like them to help walk you through it. Maybe go meet them because they'll walk you through it. Like when women's Bible study on Tuesday nights or men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. Right? And the second way, it really is getting into the word yourself. That's a huge thing for me, right? So like when I was, I grew up like kind of going to church, but it was never like read your Bible kind of family, right? Like we did like, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer at night. I don't know if you're familiar with that, maybe from the Metallica song, but that got a bigger laugh than I thought it would. Um, But like, um, I got a Bible when I was 18. It was the first Bible I ever got. It came in a little box. And I remember it because it sat on this box and I moved to Tempe and I sat it like on my dresser and then like moved it off my dresser when I moved out. Like it's literally, it's set in the box. I remember the dust on the box. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that was even there. Like, and then I started going to church and a few weeks even into that is when they started saying like, hey, you need to be reading your Bible. One, I was like, never heard that before. But two, um, they had these little booklets. There was like challenges. Like you could go through this journal and read this passage, or you could follow this calendar and, and read these verses each day, or you could do this thing. And like, like you need to read your Bible because you need God's word to speak into your life. And the way that the Holy Spirit does that is when you read it for yourself, right? Don't just trust the guy on the stage, like read it for yourself and understand God's word on your own. Right? And this is a way you could start, Right? Like in here, there's a section for notes, but each page, there's more verses for you to read. There's, there's a community group discussion guide in there. Um, you could just, just start with that. And if you're not in a community group, email me and we can get you plugged into one. Right? The, the reality is that for me, when I started um, reading the Bible on my own is when I started feeling like maybe I should, maybe I should be in ministry. It changed my life. Right, even to this day, like I can't come up here if I don't do that on my, like I can't tell you it's all important if I don't understand it for myself first. Right, like I have to make sure that this is impacting me and there's a lot of ways it's impacting me this week before I come and tell you it's gonna impact you this week. Read, 
read it. And the last way is this, and Tim kind of hit it on the head a little bit in the announcement, but just like we have ministries for kids and youth because we want them to have this foundation. Right, the reality is, is it's not like once you turn 21 and you can like go to the clubs or whatever, like that's when the world starts to influence you, right? It starts when you're one years old and a toilet brush is the best toy ever. And it continues every day in Target and at school and at home and every little mistake that I say to him growing up that I don't even know of yet, he's gonna need a foundation to help him understand those things. And so do you. And so to all of those kids and youth in these classes, that's why we have them. It's not just babysitting, right? We want our kids to have the foundation to understand that God loves them, that he is for them, that he has a plan, that he is working out in their lives and that he has an opportunity through his word to teach them that, that all of us get to participate in. That's why we need volunteers for that. It's not just to go and make sure that like parents can sit in here without screaming for an hour. Right, it's so that those kids can also get discipleship for them at their age that's appropriate, that helps them to understand that God is their God too. Right, it's so that teenagers can have an outlet to be able to discuss those things and think about those things in the context of what it means to be 15. So that when we gather together as a community, we're doing so with this framework that all of us are continuing to strengthen and build upon, that all of us are being shaped by, because the purpose is for us to live a life where we are dedicated to God and dedicated to loving one another. And the framework for that comes from scripture. It doesn't come from the news or social media or anything else, because all of that is about how angry you should be, how upset you should be, how much more you wish you should have. But the Bible tells us something different. And it teaches us to look upward and outward in a way of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this day. God, we just ask that you would encourage us this morning, that you would uh, shape our minds and our hearts by your scriptures, Father, in a new way. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand what it means to be a community, a people um, of your book, God, a people that are guided by your word, are encouraged by your word, are corrected by your word, are taught by your word, Lord, are... Um, shaped by your word, Father. Now that we are people that have been moved in a way through the love of Jesus that is transforming. And as we seek to be his disciples, his followers, those who live uh, in this world in a way that is by his example and for his glory, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to guide us in this, uh, that you would equip us and empower us through your Holy Spirit to do so, Father, and that, uh, that your scriptures would be written on our hearts. God, that you might that you might give us the wisdom and the clarity to see this world as it truly is because of who you are, the creator of all things, and our Savior, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.